0: Are we
1: recording? Yes we are, fantastic, let's go. Hi everyone, I'm Louisa, I'm a neurodivergent academic at the University of Reading and I'm your podcast host for season three of Psychological. Psychological is a podcast that started during lockdown and it aims to make an evidence-based contribution to conversations about child and adolescent well-being, development and learning, and neurodiversity. Today's Psychological is episode 14 of season 3, which is the final episode, and because we've had so much brilliant advice from all of the guests this season, I'm pulling it all together for a special advice episode. So, even if developmental psychology isn't your thing, and honestly, why not, you can listen into to this episode and hear some of the fantastic advice from the academics that I got to speak to this season. You can also listen back to some of Sue's previous episodes to hear the advice from those guests too. So without further ado let's get started. So every single week I ask my guest if they have advice for students and early career researchers so we will get started off with the trailer episode where Sue Fletcher-Watson the original host and wonderful creator of the psychological podcast asked me for my own advice.
2: What would be your words of wisdom? Well I guess one of my
1: main things that I would advise people to do is to really set up kind of a supportive network of friends and other people that you're doing your PhD with very early on and also um, helpful for collaboration and things in the future and if you get stuck with the coding or something that somebody else knows how to do it's great to have those people around you so you can help each other so one of my kind of I guess main pieces of advice would be to start very early on kind of setting up a network of people that are excited about similar things and yeah because it's useful yeah it supports you if anything gets difficult it was useful to have a network when um, the pandemic happened and no one could see each other in person so that was very useful yeah. a phd network yeah
3: Absolutely. And I can testify that some of those relationships really, really last. In fact, Holly Joseph was someone I interviewed on the podcast and she and I shared an office when we were doing our PhDs. And that's, you know, still a really wonderful friendship and an amazing source of support. And I sometimes think about people working in my field who were sort of doing their PhDs around the same time as me as being like sort of academic siblings you know that that we've all sort of grown up together or something and it's it's such a lovely source of of comfort when things are tough and of advice when you're stuck and all of those things so yeah strongly second that advice I think that's great Louisa here's
1: the advice from the first episode of the season so this is the advice from Karen McClellan A postdoctoral researcher at the University of Reading who spoke to me about her work exploring the sensory experiences of autistic adults.
4: I mean, I was very lucky with my uh, PhD supervisor, Teresa, who um, is is, she's good with the work-life balance, and I feel like to me that's really important. And I, I I guess, the most important thing is for if you're a student or an early career researcher or at any stage in academia is to always put your health and well-being first and to not feel guilty about it um because it's really hard to succeed and thrive if you're burning yourself out all the time um so yeah I feel like I've, I've learned from <laughs> now working um with my amazing mentors that it's actually okay to say no sometimes and to not take everything on um, I think that's especially important with working at home a lot more as we have all done over the last couple of years that that distinction between work and home has been a bit blurred mm-hmm. um, and that yeah it's really it's good to nurture your your work-life balance and to preserve your evenings and weekends and not to feel guilty about it.
1: Now, from episode two, here's Beatrice Hayes from Raw Holloway, who spoke to me about her work exploring children's perceptions of the risks and benefits of social media.
5: Don't be hard on yourself, manage your expectations. So I'm, you know, I'm talking about this paper today, which I'm very proud of, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. But you know, it's taken me 10 years to be at this point in my career now. You know, I did my degree, I did my PGCE. I taught for a few years. I then did my PhD, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's it's a long road, and I think manage your expectations in terms of in the long term, what do you want to achieve as a career? But also in the short term, you know, don't expect to get firsts in every single assignment that you complete, because actually, that's not what being an academic or that's not what being a researcher is about. Being a researcher is about coming across problems or coming across issues and being able to troubleshoot those and being able to look after yourself in the process so I think if you're early on in your career if you're whether that means you're a student or whether you're whether you're an ECR whether you're a PhD student wherever you may be just manage your expectations and don't expect to be perfect to every single thing that you do because it doesn't actually exist that that can't be done (laughs) say you know it's not about being tip-top amazing at everything you do it's about having a good work ethic and it's about being in it for the long haul you know it's it really is a marathon um and just sort of take your time and enjoy the process as Adele said in an interview recently trust the process From
1: episode three we've got Rachel Nesbitt a postdoctoral research fellow based in the Children and Young People's Mental Health Research Collaboration at the University of Exeter and Rachel spoke to me about some work exploring adventurous play in school-aged children. Here's her advice.
0: So much advice. Um, (laughs) I would say probably a couple of really important things uh, that perhaps I would have told my younger self. Um, So first of all surround yourself by supportive people. So people that are at a similar career stage to you and that are going through similar things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's been even more important in the last 18 months when often we sort of haven't been in an office environment. Mm -hmm. So often me and some colleagues from different universities will have things like co-working sessions, which is just a moment to check in and support each other. And another thing I would say is don't be afraid to sort of approach perhaps senior academics or people that are sort of a bit further on in their career path than you and ask for support or ask for advice. Um, and, and I think that's one thing that I've learned, the importance of, of having good mentors and, and sort of people that are willing to support you. And don't be afraid to ask those questions or make those connections because they will definitely benefit you in your future and just have the confidence to just send that email.
1: And now from episode four, here's Joe Bethel from Royal Holloway. And he spoke to me about his work using network analyses to link brain and behaviour.
6: I think if I talked to myself uh, sort of 10 years ago when I was starting out, I would say, yeah, don't stress too much. Um, like, just enjoy the process. Because with a lot of science, it's like it's difficult to predict. There are a lot of things that you can't control. So, I think you need to enjoy the process, hang in there and sort of work on your day to day and not worry too much about where things are going or what the outcomes might be because you're not in control of a lot of things. So, yeah, um, enjoy, don't worry too much.
1: In episode five, I spoke to Liz Jones, who did her PhD at Durham University, and we spoke about her work exploring the impact of sensory processing differences for autistic pupils. Here's her advice for students and early career researchers. Yes, I think um, I finished my PhD in September and I've gone to work for the civil service. I've moved away from academia and I think my advice would be, you know, explore all your options. Academia is not the only route you need to go down or feel pressure to go down you have lots lots of transferable skills um that are really valued in both government and um industry as well so i think definitely be open to lots of different
7: opportunities
1: from episode six here's alex lloyd a postdoc at ucl who spoke to me about his work on exploration during adolescence
3: Yeah I I mean I think the bit of advice that I probably would give to and I think this is quite general advice across the board but I think it'd be don't it would be don't be afraid to reach out to researchers that you admire or want to work with or know more about their work because I think it's very easy to think that you know you can't sort of be the proactive element as an early career researcher or you know pre-PhD in particular about working with particular supervisors and you know I think that one of the kind of less publicised routes towards doing a PhD is actually reaching out to more senior academics that you really want to work with and yeah. saying, you know, I like your work. Do you have a PhD position available? That's how I did it, and it worked out brilliantly for me. So I would I would encourage anyone that's looking to do a PhD or even a postdoc to reach out to people that you know are doing work in a similar field that they really admire and just just really show your interest and ask if there's any positions available because you know it can lead to really fantastic opportunities.
1: Next up, for episode seven, here's the advice from Connor Keating from the University of Birmingham. And he chatted to me about his work investigating facial expression recognition in autistic and non-autistic individuals.
6: Yeah, so I think probably my number one piece of advice is well it comes with a caveat but my number one piece of advice is to say yes to things um, when you're starting out your undergrad degree or your phd because it just opens so many opportunities for you so whether it be say yes to volunteering or saying yes to being an admin of a journal club role or saying yes to getting involved in a network or to being involved in a research project then then i think it's a really good idea because it enriches your whole experience it also enhances your cv too Um, So I'd really recommend that. But the caveat is (laughs) you also need to learn when to say no. (laughs) Um, And that's something I'm working on.
1: (laughs) Well, my thing at the moment, maybe my my current rule for saying no to things might help you and maybe people listening as well. I have a rule with myself at the moment that if anybody asks me for additional things, I don't say yes unless it's something that I would be excited to do in my own time.
6: Do you know what? That is a, a good sort of mantra to live by. And maybe that's what I need to be doing, taking forward. So I think this is a, That was a great sort of combination there. We've got the yes. And then we've also got how to cope with dealing no. with it, so yeah. not a no or not. So, yeah, yeah, I love that.
1: In episode eight, I spoke to Saloni Krishnan from Raw Holloway. And she spoke to me about her work exploring curiosity driven learning in dyslexia.
8: Yeah, I thought a little bit about this, actually. Um, I I think I'm going to touch on, like, work-life balance. Mm-hmm. So I think in most jobs, you need to work quite hard to be successful. And I would be lying if I said that academia is any exception to that. Um, but I think... One of the challenges in academia is that, like, research and work can sometimes not even feel like work because we we kind of seek it out because it feels enjoyable or interesting. And then you can have this, like, really harmful narrative build up that, like, you have to do lots and lots of hours of work. Mm -hmm. And actually, one thing that's been really effective for me ever since I started being a postdoc um, is that... I actively sought out people who work normal hours, who take weekends off, who take breaks, and they're also, like, incredibly successful scientists. Mm -hmm. And I think internalising some of that has been really, really important. Um, And I guess that's the other thing. Like, I think it's really – I think if you're not enjoying academia – I mean, you should ask yourself some questions as to why you're not enjoying academia. Um, just take a step back to see if there's things you could do because I just think you shouldn't be in a job that you don't enjoy. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of us in academia are smart enough to find many other them rewarding, challenging jobs, right? Yeah. So if there is a phase where you're kind of thinking, like, I really don't want to do this, then, you know, maybe don't or... Um, <laughs>
1: just coming on a podcast as a scientist being like, don't stay in academia. (laughs) Oh, I'm not going to say that. But like, you know,
8: perhaps it's a sign that, you know, you need a break, you need a holiday, or you need to talk to your PI about creating stuff that it would be more exciting for you or... You know, you might think about, like, creating your happy folder of, like, emails that have been really lovely to receive through the years and look at that. Or, you know, really think about, like, um, so so I went to Sophie Scott's lab after a PhD where I thought I was feeling really pretty burnt out. And in her lab, we just did loads and loads of science communication. And that just really reinvigorated, like, you know, my passion for science and why I wanted to do it and I think sometimes you just sort of need that change in pace but really like um, and, and as far back as like this Christmas so I do not have this solved in any potential way but I was like really stressed and then I was just like but I'm I'm doing this to myself right like why am I doing this can I drop things that I should be dropping or yeah so I think work-life balance and reflecting on it is something we could all do better at yeah. So
1: episode nine was a little bit different, and I had Jasmine Viria interview me about one of my papers exploring contagion in autistic and non-autistic adults. That was one of my PhD papers. Uh, Also stay tuned for the next season, where there will be a little bit of a different format episode there, so stay tuned to find out what that is next time round. So, Jasmine, who interviewed me in that episode, is a postdoctoral researcher in the Inclusion initi- Initiative sorry, at the London School of Economics. And here's her advice for students and early career researchers.
2: I think that, yeah, if you're a master's student or a PhD student or even in your first postdoc like we are, mm-hmm. um, just remind yourself that it's a huge learning experience. Um, I think when I started my PhD, I assumed that I needed to know everything yesterday and that's not how it works you know you have to take time to learn and develop the skills and figure out what you enjoy and what you don't um and I think that's one thing now going forward in my research is something that I always try to remind myself of and thinking about how best to use your time as well um you know there's always going to be things that we do and don't enjoy but I think you find that it's a better use of your time if they're things that you enjoy and you're learning from it.
1: In episode 10 I spoke to my postdoc supervisor Kathy Manning who is a lecturer at the University of Reading and she spoke to me about her paper on visual motion processing in dyslexia. Here's her advice. I would probably suggest kind of trying to uh, always keep in mind about like what you are, want to do for your career. So where do you want to be in the next two, three or five years time? Um, in, in particular thinking like what kind of research would you like to do? What things would you like to apply for? And then to really think about how what you're doing now can kind of help you to get to that point. So I think just sort of keeping an eye on what it is that you really want to do, the more long-term goals, try and keep those in mind to try and, I guess, use your time efficiently to yeah. try and help yourself get to those Um, kind of next career stages. Next up, in episode 11, I spoke to Gil Francis, who is a research fellow at the University of York. She spoke to me about some of her work exploring the impact of play-based interventions on the mental health of autistic children and children with developmental language disorder.
9: I would say to remember that the journey of learning and doing research is more of a marathon than a sprint. So we need to be patient and kind with ourselves Mm
4: -hmm.
9: Um, research is a tedious process and it takes many months and um, along the way we, it can be disheartening, but once you get to the end of the journey, it's always rewarding to see that you've been able to find out interesting things and that you're making some kind of contribution Mm -hmm. um, to knowledge. Uh, So definitely um, um, on my, for my personal, on my purse, for my personal experience, Um, Becoming a researcher has not been a straightforward journey. I've literally migrated from a Caribbean (laughs) island and found myself pursuing a dream that I've always had. Mm -hmm. And um, I would definitely want to take this time to encourage uh, other individuals who who share similar backgrounds as myself Mm -hmm. to let them know that academia is accessible. And it's a space where um, we can actually um, make a contribution as well. Uh, More generally, I'm a big advocate for play. So I would say to definitely find ways to make time for play, whether it is in your research or in your holistic life, because that's important as well.
8: In
1: episode 12, I spoke to Beatrice Lopez, a reader in developmental psychology at the University of Portsmouth. And she chatted to me about an evaluation of a set of employment profiling tools to enhance employment opportunities for autistic people.
10: Seize every opportunity you have to read, listen, and work with colleagues outside of your specific psychological area. um, Because innovative ideas tend to come from the integration of knowledge from different uh, fields. And to me, probably the best example is from the autism literature is the application of the concept of theory of mind. Mm -hmm. um, That was a a concept developed within animal psychology and Baron Cohen took it to the study of autism. And, you know, it changed the field for the next 30 years. And I know theory of mind, the concept now is kind of controversial, but it, it really kind of is that kind of, integration and combination of ideas from different fields that really move a field forward so go to any talk work with people outside your or your narrow area i think it's really important
1: so finally for our guest episodes in episode 13 i spoke to ellen ridley who is a phd student in the center for neurodiversity and development at durham university Along with my previous guest, Rachel Nesbitt, Ellen was also involved in setting up the ECR Developmental Network. In our episode, Ellen chatted to me about a piece of her work which took a cross-syndrome approach to exploring social vulnerability and social interaction style in neurodevelopmental conditions.
7: So my experience, I would say definitely collaborate with others, both in the academic and non-academic sense. So for example, for me working with the Williams Syndrome Foundation from the very early stages of the research Mm -hmm. all the way through has really helped shape how I think about things um, and how I approach the research and thinking about how findings might be best communicated to families as well. But equally discussions with families and parents, these sort of informal conversations that I was talking about in the um, example of the research assistant position that I did, Mm -hmm. I think that they're just, they're so valuable for thinking and moving your thinking forwards and that sort of active learning throughout the PhD is really helpful and then on a more personal level I guess I think the support side of things so I think A PhD can be quite a lonely venture in some ways. And the first, the recent few years with the pandemic have probably only exa- exacerbated that. So I think really, if you can seek out the support of others, um, particularly others who are at a similar stage as you. Um, so, for example, I've been part of an early career network um, of developmental researchers and we've organized a few different things like working together over zoom or running some professional development sessions and I think just or even just having a chat it's really helpful just to speak to others who are going through similar challenges Um, and also reach out to more senior academics as well who can offer you some mentorship Um, I think the the research journey is more than just ticking the boxes of a PhD so make space for your own personal development as well
1: all of that fantastic advice has come to a close that brings me to now the end of episode 14 and the final episode of season three of psychological so I'd like to say a big thank you so much to all of the listeners for listening in and also again thank you so much to all of my wonderful guests for joining me I've had a fantastic time you can listen to all of the episodes from this season on Buzzsprout or in your podcast app. I hope you've enjoyed having me as your host as much as I have enjoyed hosting and I'll be back soon with news about season four of Psychological. In the meantime, I'll leave you with some little clips and bloopers that I removed from episodes along the way and a little cameo from my guinea pig. Speak soon. Bye! just going to randomly talk a little bit and apparently do a weird dance <laughs> this is the part where I forget how to speak from, Dull- from Durham University conversations about child and adoles- adolescent who is a postdoctoral te- teaching associate at the university? that's really loud really I'm gonna I'm gonna get him a snack and then I'll start otherwise he's just gonna be screaming at me
10: oh hello